joy to be gathered together again, worshiping Jesus and hearing from his word. Um, if you are a guest with us this morning or you're visiting maybe from out of town, we welcome you in. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Hebrews this morning. Last week, Pastor Curtis taught from Hebrews chapter 1 and the first four verses. And so today we'll continue in the first chapter. We'll actually go all the way through to the end of the first chapter. So we look forward uh, to walking through Hebrews all the way through the end of the fall and up into Advent this year. So we, we just pray that God will speak. And the writer to the Hebrews, his whole purpose in writing was to reveal the supremacy of Christ and his new covenant above and beyond angels, even Moses, the tabernacle and the priesthood and the whole entire sacrificial system. And I hope that we see that as we journey along the way. If you have your copy of the scriptures this morning, go ahead and break those out. We love the word of God. The word of God is what we live our lives by, submitted to by the power of the spirit. It's living and active. And so we believe that God's word is inerrant and infallible and that God speaks to us through it as followers of Jesus. We'll be in Hebrews chapter one, as I said, verse five. And I'll go ahead and read through the text all the way to the end. You can follow along with me if you have a device or you can read it uh, behind me on the screens. We'll jump in. Today's sermon, Jesus, greater than angels. Let's jump in beginning in verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O Lord, excuse me, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those? who are to inherit salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather together today and that your spirit is with us, speaking to us through your word. And so now, God, we bend our hearts, our minds around Jesus this morning, asking for him to speak to us, for your spirit to guide us, to do what only your spirit can do. That's to lead us into all truth, we pray. And so the words of God, not the words of man, for your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. So angels, really? That's what my son asked me. I have three sons. The oldest one, Colin, we were talking last night uh, before he was going to bed. And he's like, what, you, what are you preaching on tomorrow, Dad? And I'm like, Jesus and stuff. You know that. No, but I was like, angels. And we started going in to the discussion about angels. And he's like, really? They didn't know that? They didn't know that Jesus was better than angels? And so right off just from that conversation, I understood, 
you know a little bit about where we are as a culture, where we are in the West, as opposed to the writer to the Hebrews when the, the early Jewish Christians, what our understanding is and our thoughts around angels. So I brought a few things that may help us. They may not. But the, what, what are your thoughts about angels? Maybe your thought of angels is this. Yeah, that was a familiar picture on the wall in our bathroom growing up. And so I'm familiar with that one. <laughs> Little guardian angels. Maybe it's something like this. Yeah, it looks like a character out of one of the Marvel series, right? This warring angel. Flaming wings. Maybe it's more like this one, though. Yeah, that's it, right? Squishy, cuddly, little sweet, soft-skinned baby angels, right? No, maybe, maybe, it's, now maybe it's this one, though. <laughs> John Travolta, right? The smoking angel, right? Remember John Travolta, Michael? Maybe that's what comes to your mind when you think of angels. We, we're in the West, or maybe if, it's, if you're like me, this is what comes to your mind. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a 14-year-old version of myself thinking I was an athlete back in the day. And my mom was here in the first service, and she was able to testify that I was an athlete. So you'll have to ask her. But no, that's what I, that's what I think about when I think about angels just off the top of the cuff. Like in God's providence, the Astros are playing host to the angels this weekend here in Houston. So, man, it was all centered around us to know that angels are important. But I I show you all those things to kind of prove the point that what the writer to the Jewish Christians in the early church, he was not talking about angels like we picture them or any of these pictures that I've shown you. And I doubt most of you actually gave much thought about angels this week. I know had I not been studying to preach, I probably wouldn't have other than watching the Astros and Angels play uh, this weekend. But angels are real. They're powerful beings created by God. The Bible actually tells us in Job 38, 4 through 7, that angels have been around since before the continuum of time and space ever came into being. God created angels. And they have been in existence, and humans and creation has been fascinated with angels since the dawning of creation, so much so that in the West, we have these poor representations, and in our lifetime, I think if you remember the decade of the 90s, angel mania reached its peak in the 90s, right? Y'all remember there was, I'm going to appeal to some some films and television to help us kind of walk through that, but in 1994, you remember that great Disney movie, family movie, Angels in the Outfield, right? Christopher Lloyd-Jones, and a young Matt McConaughey plays the outfielder. That was a great movie. Loved it. Enjoyed it. Family movie. Then in 96, we have John Travolta's version of Michael the Archangel, the smoking angel, John Travolta. In 1998, the movie came out called Meet Joe Black. It was a little bit different version of an angel, the angel of death, right? Brad Pitt. In the first service, all the women remembered that movie. I don't know why. But Brad Pitt plays the angel of death, right? And he stars with Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony Hopkins' number has been called, and so Brad Pitt is coming to take Anthony Hopkins back. And it, while he's there, he's distracted by 
Anthony Hopkins' character's daughter, and so he ends up falling in love with her. You guys know the rest of that story. That same year, another movie called City of Angels came out in 98. Nick Cage, Meg Ryan. Nicholas Cage, the heavenly angel in the City of Angels, Los Angeles. He becomes this like guardian angel to the people around the city, and then he ends up meeting Meg Ryan, falls in love, and he trades his immortality for a true experience of love, right? You remember that? Most notably on television in 1994 was Roma Downey, right? Y'all know it? Yeah. Touched by an Angel, right? Great series on CBS that ran for almost 10 years to 2003. And then a little less notable at the end of the decade, that spinoff from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show that was called Angel in 1999 on the CW, did not have as much success as Touched by an Angel. You guys get the, the picture. It's clear that the writer to the Hebrews is not in any way or any form or shape thinking of angels in the same way, right? And there's a problem in the early church, and it was actually rooted in Judaism, where angels were at a level of veneration or worship beyond what they should have been, where they were mediators between God and humans as, angels would pray, as humans would pray to angels that they would maybe go and appeal to God on their behalf. And so the writer to the Hebrews wants to get straight that regarding Christ's superiority to these angels. And so the Bible has much to say about angels. Depending on the Bible translation searched, angels are referred to from 294 to 305 times in the Bible. References to angels occur at least 116 times in the Old Testament and 175 times in the New Testament. These many references are found in at least 34 books, from the very earliest books, Job or Genesis, to the last book of the Bible, of Revelation. And there's numerous references to angels by Jesus, whom Scripture declares to be the creator of all things, even angels, Matthew 24, 36. So what we see in the next nine verses of this chapter is the writer appealing to seven different historical texts in the Old Testament and references to basically be evidence for his argument that Jesus is greater than angels. So we want to unpack each of these as we move along through the text today. Jesus is superior. And so the foundation for any argument or any text or any sermon that I may ever preach or anyone ever preaches is the Word of God. Because the Word is infallible and it is inerrant and it is living and active and it's where we get all that we need to live this life. And so the writer to the Hebrews appeals back to the scripture where the scripture all throughout history interprets itself, if you will. So what do I mean by that? The scripture harmonizes with itself throughout history and through the Bible. It's this expositional argument being used where the, the real smart guys and theologians say that a text that interprets various Old Testament passages to kind of serve a larger theological argument. And that's what's going on here. Because this is great. This is what we need to know. We need to be able to trust that God's word is true, that God's word is for the fame and the name of Jesus, and that we can build our lives, as we sang this morning, upon the love and word of God. And that's what the writer knows and understands as he refers to seven different Old Testament references. A few years ago, there was a computer science whiz, Chris 
Harrison, and he created this beautiful visualization that links up every cross-reference in the Bible. So, for example, if a verse in the New Testament referred back to a verse in the Old Testament, there was an arc drawn between the two chapters that they were in. Look at it. Isn't that amazing? So that's every reference in the Bible referencing itself, a cross-reference, starting in Genesis and all the way to Revelation. creates this beautiful rainbow picture. Across the bottom are the books of the Bible in the gray and the white in the bar graph. And so every time the Bible references itself, there's an arc that's depicted. 63,779 references that are cross-referencing in the Bible. Amazing, trustworthy, true, stands the age of time. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. We have proof, and the writer understands this. And so today, there's three things as we look at the text that I want us to take away today. The first thing I want us to see, starting in verse 5, is that Jesus is the Son of God. Angels are servants. Look at verse 5. He asked the question, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is a reference from the Psalms, chapter 2, verse 7. The Jewish and Hebrew children would have known this Psalm was pointing to the Messiah. They would have read it that way. They still read it that way. We know that this verse is fulfilled in Jesus and finds all of its yes and amen in Jesus. For Jesus is the heir of all prophecies about the Messiah. But the Jewish culture would still be reading this and saying, yeah, he's, he's talking about the Messiah in this text. And so the author pulls from his great knowledge and understanding of the Old Testament to say to the, this early church, hey, Christ is the heir to all messianic promises. There's a couple of things that we know that or pointed out here, son points to a superior position, a superior nature, a level of authority. Now, I have three sons. I have a 15-year-old son, Colin. I have a 13-year-old son, Jude. I have a 12-year-old son, Grant. And I think they'll be here in the next service. But anyway, I love my sons in whom I'm well pleased. These are my three sons, right? And they are amazing. And they are gifts. And so in Jewish culture and ancient History, cultures were rooted in the firstborn son would receive the blessing or even a double portion blessing from the father. And if the father were to pass away early or prematurely, the oldest son would then step into the role and place of provider, protector, spiritual leader, organizer of the family, leader of the family. Now, in the West, we don't really process it that way in our families, but if you're a dad in here and you Remember that firstborn son. There's something that goes on inside of you when you have that little baby boy, that firstborn son. And I think that's God hardwiring creation around the point that Jesus is superior, that the first, he is the firstborn, not in origin. He wasn't born in origin, but he is superior in place and in relationship with the father because he is the son of God meaning God the Son. Jesus is God the Son in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. And we know that only sons inherit. Servants don't inherit. Only sons rule. Servants don't rule. 
We know so much that it was recorded in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. Matthew records this scene there at the Jordan River, and he says, As a dove comes down, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon Jesus. And then these famous words are uttered from a voice from heaven. This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Wow. The father communicating his love for his son, telling us, this is my son. See, Jesus is the son of God. He holds a rightful place as God the son over all creation. Servants, they merely serve the purposes of their ruler, of their master, right? So the angels were created to serve the purposes of God. They serve the purposes of Christ. They serve in the purposes of creation. Isaiah has this amazing epic vision where he looks into the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And he records what he sees. And he sees this amazing wild creature of an angel called a seraphim. Right? It's got six wings and eyes all around. And it's this amazing description of angel. In the Bible, we only have two descriptions of angels, a seraphim and cherubim. And here Isaiah sees the seraphim. And the seraphim was created for the purposes of God to serve in declaring what? Isaiah hears the the seraphim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And it's on repeat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. For all eternity, the seraphim created around the throne room of God, declaring the holiness of God that we might know the holiness, the otherness, the separateness of God, the one who has saved us, the one who has called us, adopted us in as sons and daughters, a a servant of God, an angel with one purpose, to declare the holiness of God. Fascinating, amazing that God creates angels to serve his purposes. The second thing I want us to take away today is that Jesus is worshipped. Angels are worshipers. Look at it with me again here in verse 6. The writer says, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says... Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Verse 6, let all God's angels worship him. Cited once again from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Appealing back to the Old Testament to let the Bible interpret itself and harmonize what he's trying to get across in his thesis. The role of angels is to worship God. The role of angels is to worship Jesus So much so that as we make our way to Advent, undoubtedly we will take a look at Luke chapter 2 at some point during Advent. Today I want us to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is kind of at the tail end, if you remember, Luke chapter 2, the story of the the angel comes to the shepherds to tell the birth of the Messiah, the God-man has come, and he's arrived in Bethlehem. And we get to this place in verse 13, and it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Angels are created to worship. We see it right in the text recorded by Luke that the angels worship Jesus as God. It declares that glory to God in the highest, peace on earth with whom God is pleased, that this son, the one that is born, is God in the flesh. He's came, he has come to save sinners from sin. Now, who worships a baby? Right? Who worships a baby? Angels worshiped the baby because the baby was God, the son in the flesh. Angels are created to worship. We're here today because we were created to worship. We were created to worship God. And most of the time, our self-efforts drive us to worshiping the wrong things. Before Jesus comes and reveals himself to us, we were worshiping something. We're going to worship something. The question is, are we worshiping the right things? And we need to make sure, just like the writer of the Hebrews today, that we're worshiping Jesus, the creator, sustainer, Lord over all creation, the one who came, stepped into time and space to redeem us from the curse of sin and death. And so we gather today with thousands upon thousands, probably millions of people around the world. Jesus has been worshiped throughout history For 2,000 plus years, the church has worshipped him as God. He came declaring that he was God. His own family members worshipped him as God. What do you have to do to have your mom and your brothers and your family worship you as God? Come up from the grave. That's a good place to start, probably. And that's what Jesus did, right? They worshipped him as God. We worship today on the backs of millions of those who have said yes to Jesus And we continue to worship. The scripture teaches that we will worship Jesus all of our days. What does that look like? It's not a worship concert, right? With Robbie C. Band leading, no, right? What it is is our life. Scripture says that our life, our reasonable act of worship is to lay down our life for the one who saved us, who made us for himself. Augustine said that our hearts are restless, until we find our rest in him alone. And so we worship, we join him with all of history in worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that angels celebrate over one repentant sinner. Luke records that in Luke 15. They worship when one person repents and comes in to the family of God. Angels join in, celebrating. It's a party in heaven over that one that comes into the family of God. So angels worship. Jesus is worshiped. Look at what John Piper has to say here about verse 6. He says, The reason Christ is worshiped by angels in verse 6 is not that Christ is the Son of God, like an angel is, or like Christians are, but because he is the Son of God, in the sense that he is God, the Son And so Piper says that the angels worship because the angels know who the person of Christ is. We can trust that the angels know that we can be brought into his family by trusting in Jesus. The final thing I want us to see today, Jesus is seated. He's ruling as the creator and Lord of the universe. 
and angels are sent to minister to those whom God is redeeming. Look in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Your throne, O God, in verse 8 is a reference again to Psalm 42, excuse me, Psalm 45, 6 and 7, appealing back to the Old Testament scriptures to say that your, you, O Lord, your throne is forever. Jesus, your scepter of righteousness is the scepter of kingdom, of the kingdom. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is the ruler of that kingdom. He's the one who inaugurated the kingdom, bringing the message of the kingdom, the mission of the kingdom that we've been caught up into. And now we live out on a day-to-day basis as we journey with Jesus. Verse 12 highlights that he is not changing. The immutability of God, that he never changes. Scriptures tells us he's the same yesterday. Today, he'll be the same forever. That's hard for me to to wrap my mind around because I change my mind almost every 30 seconds, right? Depending if my phone goes off or not, I could change my mind pretty quickly, right? Some of you changed your mind multiple times getting ready to come here this morning on what you were going to wear probably, right? So we don't, it's hard for us to really bend our minds around the fact that God is immutable. He doesn't change, that Jesus has been enthroned over all creation since the beginning of time. And he sits now seated and ruling as Lord over all creation. This picture is a picture of a king who's been enthroned in his rightful place. Jesus seated on his heavenly throne, actively ruling and reigning over his creation. This is not Jesus being like me, getting tired of Uh, I completed that work on the cross. I need to go up here and sit down and rest. Like I'm out mowing the yard and need to come in and put my feet up. This is a posture of rulership, enthroned, on high, actively reigning, engaged with his creation, looking into the earth and seeing his people, rescuing his people and drawing them to himself. He's creating a new people and he's ruling and reigning actively right now. 1 Peter 3 22 says that Jesus Christ who has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers have been subjected to him Jesus is the ruler over all the writer of the Hebrews wants this church to know that, saying hey you're under trial, you're being pressed on every side but don't turn back to this silly doctrine of angels Jesus rules and is Lord over the angels. The apostle Paul wrote an entire book to the church in Colossae to tell them that Christ was supreme and not to drift back into asceticism and the worship of angels. And so we today know that Jesus is supreme. Jesus 
is governing over all things. Look at verse 13 with me. Which of the angels has he ever said? Sit at my right hand and make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Implied is there has never been an angel that he has asked that or said that to. Only Jesus fits that. The imagery is actually pulled from Joshua and these conquering generals with their, the, the conqueror's foot standing with his foot on the throat of his enemy as a footstool. It's not a soft little ottoman, as you and I might imagine. It's a conquering king, a ruler overall. He's defeated Seth, death, Satan, sin, and the grave once and for all. And that's what the writer wants us to see today. King Jesus is ruling with his foot on the throat of Satan. And we're just waiting. It's an already not yet kingdom. It's already been done. And now we're living it out. We're living in the ultimate reality in the kingdom of God. And we will one day see Jesus crack open the sky. And he will be ruling and reigning again for all eternity in his rightful place. And we will be ruling and reigning alongside with him those who are his. With angels submitted to Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's you and me. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him he's reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the Apostle Paul. Summing up what we're saying today and what was repeated to the church in Hebrews, that Jesus is at the center of the universe. Jesus is the one that we come and exist by, that we have our breath and we have our being in Christ. We come today as a church gathered around to and for him to say, I'm all in with you, Jesus. You're my king. Make my life a living sacrifice, holy acceptable in your eyes, O God. Look at this quote here. The superiority of the Son of God to angels is shown. They all, however, various their ranks, minister. He is ministered to. They stand before God or are sent forth to execute the divine commands on behalf of them whom he pleases to save. He sits on the right hand of the majesty on high. He rules. And they serve. Jesus is seated, ruling and reigning in his rightful place over creation. He's ruling over all angels, principalities, and powers, spiritual darkness. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the question for us today is, what what do angels have to do with Jesus? See, today our culture is fascinated by these extra mythical creatures, you know, the the rise of zombies. I don't get that. 
I'm, I don't understand it, why there's such a fascination with it other than people are looking for something outside themselves to defeat death or whatever. There's vampires, the vampire diaries, that was a pretty big deal. And then there's always this angel fascination. And I think what can happen in all of this is that the ruling, reigning creator of the universe can get kind of missed. He can become what is so commonly seen at Urban Outfitters. If you ever see, there's a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy, right? And for $15, you can buy that t-shirt at Urban Outfitters. But see, some people in our culture find it very difficult to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And they're outraged that people would believe that God came down in the form of Jesus to save and to rescue and to make all things new. But they'll get jacked up on vampires and all kinds of other things, werewolves. See, we can reduce Jesus to an unhealthy place if we don't watch it. But today, I'm reminding you what the Hebrews were receiving from the writer in the early church, that Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is worthy of your life. Jesus is the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door to God. You and me get to be door holders. We get to stand by the door and we get to say, come on in. Come see Jesus. He's the lover of your soul. He's the one who laid down his life for you. And we get to participate in this great rescue mission by simply pointing people to the door, saying, this is the way. He loves you. Come and experience what your heart longs for. Come and find new life in Jesus. And so the writer to the Hebrews encouraged that church to keep their eyes on Jesus, to persevere in Jesus. He's greater than the angels. You don't need a mediator. Jesus has become that great mediator. Go directly to Jesus. And he's saying, don't miss it. Don't miss it, friends, today. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the one sustaining you now with every breath and every heartbeat, giving you ears to hear, giving you a mind to comprehend and process, to know him, giving you a mouth to lift your voice in praise. He's worthy. And so the question that we must answer today is not what are angels, rather who is Jesus and the way we answer that question has eternal consequences so I encourage you today if you don't know Jesus if you're exploring the claims of Christ lean in with us today Jesus is drawing you come to him let's pray God thank you for your word thank you that your word is light and life that you teach us the Holy Spirit of God now massage these truths deep into our hearts Let them reverberate in our minds throughout this week that we see Jesus is worthy of everything that we could give, that our lives can be lived as big as you are, God, by the power of your spirit. Pray now that we would be encouraged to go out to serve Jesus with the love and life-giving power that he provides. For your beautiful name we pray. Amen.